You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. If you enjoy this program, please support it by becoming a patron for only $1 per month. Becoming a patron will not only ensure that this podcast continues, it will grant you membership to an exclusive Facebook group that will allow you to connect with other listeners and continue the conversation. For more details, please visit ayahuascatalks.love and click on the green Become a Patron button in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. This will provide you with more information and an opportunity to contribute. For more ayahuasca integration content, please visit RebeccaHayden.com. And to connect with me directly, please email Rebecca.Hayden at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. I have Lynette Allen with me today and we've actually spoken before on Ayahuasca Talks, but it's been a while. So we're going to get the update and we're going to have a great discussion today. Lynette, can you introduce yourself and just a little bit about the kind of work you've done and and leading up to uh, today, what you're working on today? Hi, Rebecca. First of all, thank you for having me on again. It's a great pleasure to be here and talk to you. It always is. Um, Yeah, so I've been actually for the past 20 years, I've been working with women. my profession, you could say, was life coach. Um, I've been talking to women about how they can speak up, how they can use their voice, how they can become more prominent in their lives, how they can grow their confidence, all kinds of things like that. It took me all over Europe, actually. I'm English, so I was uh, in England for most of those years working in and out of London and uh, the surrounding areas and then taking my work further afield into Europe with great big companies who started to become interested in how to rise the feminine within their organizations. So much of my work had been done with um, women one-to-one direct. They would come to me direct usually as kind of a secret tool to sort of getting ahead or finding their emotional balance in some way. But then I found that I was talking directly to the corporates and they really did try, it seemed, to do a lot for women and and help them to rise up in these areas and to get more women in management levels and stuff like that. And they brought me in to help with that. So I did a lot of work probably the last... Well, when, since my daughter was born, uh, that all started and she's now seven. So I did that for the first five, four or five years of her life, was working with corporates much more closely. And then my life took a dramatic twist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it always does. Uh, my husband decided he really wanted to try the plant medicine ayahuasca. And I had heard of it, but I had forgotten I'd heard of it. And I, I really had no recollection of what it was. And when I found out what it was and when he started talking about it, I just thought he was nuts and (laughs) mad and completely like, what? Um, I had no idea why he wanted to do ayahuasca, but it was calling him very clearly and very strongly. So he, he tried ayahuasca and I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want any part of it. I didn't like the sound of it or the idea of it or the sound of purging or anything. <laughs> yeah, no <Nothing>. one does. <laughs> <laughs> so he carried on and I thought, well, he'd, he'd done his first uh, weekend. And when he came home, you know, he still loved me. That was a really good tick. 
<laughs> okay. Thank goodness for that. We don't have to do that anymore. He's done it now. So, right, we can just carry on. But then he said he wanted to make it part of his spiritual practice, which again, I didn't understand. I'm like, your spiritual practice, what you're getting high with a group of people. I don't understand this at all. So he carried on because he's very headstrong and he was very clear. And after about four months or so, I could see a change in him. I could see a difference in him. I really started to see what he was talking about. And the, the changes were subtle, but really clear. And I had by that time started to mix with the shaman that was serving him ayahuasca and meeting the people who he was sitting in circle with. And I would go and pick him up from these weekends where everybody was coming out a little bit like they'd been dragged through a hedge backwards and, and had no sleep <laughs> and stuff like that. And they just were carrying a pillow and a, <laughs> some bedding and wanting to go home and rest. And right. I was brought in to sort of say hello as I was picking him up, you know, with, with our daughter, just as, you know, the wife, like, this is my wife. And everybody would go, oh, hi. Mm-hmm. So, but I realized by doing that, that, you know, these people were normal. And I had a very, very big Thing on my shoulders that says I don't do drugs and um, you know people who take psychedelics are a certain personality type or a certain social level I mean I had all of that indoctrination right. yeah a lot of people have for sure yeah and I so I can understand that now when I talk to people about ayahuasca because at that point I was not having anything to do with it, but I, I couldn't help but notice how much more balanced, you know, my husband was and, and his conversation was shifting and stuff like that. And then I thought one day, you know, I think if I took this great big halo off of mine, I think I might learn a thing or two if, if I sit with ayahuasca and I, I started to feel like I might be ready to do this, which was the most ridiculous thing at that time for me to say everybody around me was completely shocked and this is the girl who's never been well I've been drunk about five times in my life and I've had no cigarettes ever I've never smoked anything I've never taken anything stronger than a paracetamol you know so this was a big deal and I thought yeah I'm, I'm gonna do this I want I think it might be my turn so I sat in ayahuasca the first night and had an amazing experience mm-hmm. um yeah clearly I was you shared yeah. that with us on the last time that that we uh, we talked, and there were a lot of there were a lot of um, big imagery like the detoxing and things like that, right? Yeah, I had a rebirth. And, oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was the rebirth, and I was really brave in the taking of the ayahuasca. I had a beautiful first cup that really just sent me in the deepest, deepest sleep. That I need, I needed that so much. And then I didn't know if I was brave enough to take the second cup because I'd heard that your journey can really go off on a tangent. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been so brave. I've, I've done so well. I don't know if I can do that. But then I, I built up the courage and I, I spoke to the shaman and, and I did have a second cup. And at that point, I, I was taken into my own rebirth, which was a phenomenal experience and, and not one that translates very well when you're trying to explain this to somebody who hasn't taken ayahuasca. <laughs> oh, no, I know. A lot of the experiences we have don't translate as well. But let's move forward to, um, to after all these wonderful experiences, because I know you, you did go into this before with, with the last time we spoke. And, and 
I know that you worked further with ayahuasca after this, these first experiences, which must have taken you, you know, deeper into your own journey. Oh gosh. Wow. A massive unraveling. I mean, after that first night, I said, I I think I understand a bit now. So thank you so much for the experience. I'm never doing it again, obviously, but (laughs) I really really kind of like, yeah, I said that. I'm like, clearly I'm never doing it again, but thank you. And I really appreciate it. Well, I ended up drinking many, 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 many times after that. So in fact, over became, what period? Like maybe a year? Or? Uh, over the, no, over the period of two years, two years, I drank many times. And actually, I became the shaman's assistant Great. in ceremony and uh, drumming and singing medicine songs for people in ceremony and, um, you know, cleaning the buckets and helping people who had lost their legs and and couldn't find their way in the middle of the night and um, sitting with people and and drinking, you know, a lot of ayahuasca and being very, very clear in that state and very centered and very calm. I, f- I found my place with it. Mm-hmm. I found my center. But my own personal journey was only just beginning because that whole field of ayahuasca, it completely unraveled for me who I thought I was and how I worked with women because this has always been my calling. Mm-hmm. What I did with them, how I, can, how I wanted to continue to work, it completely unraveled. After so tell the first us about year. that. Well, after the first year, I, mean, I tried to continue my work. I did continue my work um, and drink ayahuasca and continue my work. And I did that for the first year, I think. And at the end of that first year, I remember having a big burning ceremony for myself of everything connected to my business. Really? Everything. So everything. how did that come about? Like what was the impetus? I just that? knew it was, I, I, wanted, I needed to do things a different way, but I didn't yeah. know how to do it a different way. I just knew it, knew it needed to be done a different way. And that nothing I had ever done before at that point was then relevant. So all the notes, all the books, I mean, I'm an avid writer, I'm an author, so writing comes very naturally to me. And so I had pages and pages of notes and files and typed out stuff and things of what I might do and good ideas. I just burnt the whole lot. Wow. I said, "We're we're, we're starting from scratch. And I didn't put anything together again for another year. So I had the next entire year uh, floating, you know, just concentrating with ayahuasca and working with her and and working on myself and being... You must have had an idea like behind that, right? This must have been an ayahuasca-inspired move to, to do away with all that went before, right? I'd... It wasn't a conscious. I wasn't told in ceremony. No. Okay. You're done. There was there was no message. It was just a you very knew. strong feeling, like it's irrelevant. You need to burn everything. Everything yeah. is now not relevant. That this landscape for me had shifted so much that it didn't even. The, the words on the page weren't worth anything because they how my brain had shifted and it was still shifting. So I didn't know what it was going to be looking like. So yeah, this is actually, this is like deja vu to me because with me, it was, I was told to get rid of a lot of the stuff that I was working on and it was hard for me. (laughs) Was that hard? Like for me, that was really difficult and I had to do in stages. 
you know, oh, no, this work went into it. Nope, this was easy peasy. I deleted files. I got a big roaring fire in my house. Fortunately, it was winter and I just burnt everything. And I felt so good about it. It was amazing. So for me, it was like a, it, it was a very, very important moment. Although I didn't know it was important. These are the, like often we don't, I didn't know it was so significant. I just knew that I was clearing stuff, clearing, clearing. And then, um, so um, was there a sense that you got how you had to work with women differently? Like, did you still feel like, okay, I know I'm going to work with women, but I know I'm going to do it differently. Well, that was in the, I imagine, I don't know exactly specific timelines. I imagine that was in the December of the first year. And I took my very first ayahuasca in the March. This is 2017. So I imagine that was in the winter of then, this December. And I remember, I see timelines are a bit blurred, but I remember having, at some <laughs> point, I remember having. It's good to hear that I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I just was, I had a conversation. We had a female medicine woman um, with us for some sessions um, and she was from Costa Rica. And I, I just said to her, cause I hadn't, we had, we had worked with male shamans all the time. Mm. So this was the first medicine woman I had in my house. And I, I just had worked with her and I really liked her energy and everything. And I said, if I brought a group of women out to do this, would you come back and facilitate it? And she had the biggest smile on her face in my kitchen. And she said, yes, I will. And I was like, oh my God, I have a medicine woman. Okay, what do, what, do I just get some dates then? So we got some dates and, and I organized it. And I, I wrote a bit about what it entailed and what it would, what it would do and be like. And, and then we hosted the first A, a Woman's Blessing. You know, what do I call this? So and, what did you feel was special about it, doing it only women? Like what I want to, to talk about is, is like the before and after shifts that take place in terms of, you know, our perspectives about things. Like obviously, if you're burning everything that went before, there's something that you're going to do intentionally differently, mm. right? And I mean, it, it, it evolved naturally. Um, yeah. But so I think some... what I was learning is that some women were responding very well to our work in corporates. Others one were trying our work out and then doing quite okay and then not doing anything and others weren't moving at all. And so there was, I realized that, you know, we, we were doing a really good job and that company still runs today. It still does that because I sold it to one of my lead facilitators. So that still works and it's really good work. But what I realized is that in my progression of this work, I would like to strip away everything that a woman carries and work with her inner being, her soul level. And you can't do that in a corporate. You can't do that in a glass office with high heels on when everybody's got their phones by them and we've got a tea break in a half an hour and you know, someone's got to leave early for a meeting. You can't sure. get to that soul level. It's and a what I was realizing, yeah, yeah, when I was realizing, if you get people out of that environment, out of, in fact, out of their environment completely, mm-hmm. barefoot, on the earth, with a fire, nobody knows their name, their ranking, their job status, how much money they earn, how much property they own. 
They know nothing about them other than I'm stood next to another woman around a fire and we are placing our fears and the things we want to burn into that fire. And that is really deep. That's deeper on a different level, as you well know. So what is it that takes place, do you think, that with um, women, because you've had ceremonies where there's both men and women and and I've been in many ceremonies like that. I've yet to be in a ceremony, actually, that's only women. Um, but what I found that was magical about with men and women is that because we find ourselves in a really vulnerable spot, you know, I, I, we're also vulnerable with people that we, we barely know. And there's this amazing experience where suddenly, you know, there's this trust and this profound thing that you're sharing. And it's, it's just so, um, so unusual, you know, it's, it's, it's a bonding thing too. It, um, you know, to be that vulnerable with a complete stranger that's also of the opposite sex, you know, and it, I, I, I don't know, it was a wonderful experience for me. And it actually helped me to move beyond a lot of those barriers that I had, you know, um, with my own past with men. And so I thought that was beautiful. I think that there's value, obviously, in, in the men's only groups and the women's only groups. But I just wanted to get your perspective there because I know there's stories to tell around that too. Um, I've had a really, I've had beautiful sessions with men. In fact, most of our sessions that I was involved with were mixed. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what, there's a very special energy when you have men and women in that group together and a huge respect for each other in that space, huge respect. So they're very, very special. And I have a lot of love and affection for the men that I've sat with because I've seen them in their darkest hours, mm-hmm. helped them when they needed help, when maybe usually a woman is not the right person to, you know, usually to hold them up. I mean, I've, I've held, literally physically held up men much bigger and taller than me and, right. and helped them to the bathroom and, and sat with them. And, you know, I've, I've actually been a real support to the masculine with the strong feminine. So has that, has that changed um, you in ways from the way that you viewed women and men before? Like I know for me, there's been huge changes, huge shifts in, you know, the way that I, I feel about that. And, um, you know, there's certain aspects of the masculine that I've come to really respect a lot more than I did before and to understand my own relationship to that. I mean, are these things you can relate to as well? I don't think I had any huge shifts on that front other than I've never experienced being able to support the masculine in that same way. Right. Without the use of ayahuasca because we are all taken to our knees. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love that. There's this, um, it's sort of like everybody ends up on the same page in some, in some way, in that particular way, in that we're all, we all become very vulnerable together. And I think that's, yeah. that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I think to be able to be strong for the masculine in that way is a very special gift and not one that we get every day. And the bond that we end up having with the men and the women that we drink ayahuasca with 
is something that is you won't find anywhere else i don't believe right yeah i know that's so special and it, there's just it's it does something that i i can't imagine anything else doing because yeah, it's just, it's got a, there's a very unique opportunity there, but I'm sure that there is, like I've seen, um, there's this one group that uh, got in touch with me and they're a strictly, you know, male group. And it's funny because I got in touch with them and said, why am I getting these emails when, you know, you're a male group entirely, right? And they said, oh, maybe you can inspire the men in your life and what, you know, um, it was just the response that they gave, you know, we're just sending it out, letting people know that this is, this is here. And I thought, wow, I wonder if they're going to miss out on those opportunities, you know, um, to have those experiences with women where they all become vulnerable together and, and maybe grow to, you know, to understand each other and relate to each other a little better or whatever. But I, I think that, you know, I, I realize that there's probably opportunities that they have being an all-male group that I may have not recognized. And I'm sure there's the same with an all-female group doing ayahuasca. And that's what I wanted to, to find out from you. Did you feel like there was any shifts within the women who participated, you know, from the relationship they had with their own femininity before and afterwards? And Maybe in relation to I I don't know I don't know if I could speak for any of the women in circle I mean I think as a woman you might come to ayahuasca for a variety of reasons one of those might well be for childhood trauma um, for rape for abuse mm-hmm. um, and if you find yourself sitting in circle with half of the group is is men then that might well test you because you're putting yourself in your most vulnerable state by your choosing. Um, and you have to trust that circle implicitly. So from, from that perspective, although I can't speak for anybody in that situation, I think there must be some healing yeah. on that level, on a, sub, you know, a subconscious level that happens. But that, that wasn't the case for me personally, you see. So for me, it was just a real sense of really loving that male energy in circle. Mm-hmm. And I've been around female energy all my life. I went to an all-girls school. I actually went to a convent school. <laughs> right. <laughs> all girls. Um, my secondary school was all girls. Um, my first job even was that, that my managers were all women. There was one man in the department. It was all women. It was an office. Okay, yeah, so, we were talking about that. Remember, we were saying, okay, mm. this is a story we want to tell. So um, part of the experience that I think that we've, we've both come across is, um, you know, women in the workplace adopting um, certain characteristics that, that weren't working for any of us, right? Mm. And yeah. I don't know if I would identify them with male, but it's possible that they saw what happened around them and said, okay, if I'm going to be, get ahead in business, I have to behave this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I've done a lot of work with women on, on all levels. And when I first started my very first job, I was 18. I was a secretary. Um, and my boss back then was a woman now I'm 46 now. So we're talking 26, 28 years ago. 
so long, nearly 30 years ago. <laughs> a lot's happened in 30 years, I think, in, in all offices. Oh, absolutely. But certainly she liked to, you know, stamp her mark on the department and on every decision. And although I was very junior and I was straight out of school and, you know, clearly I hadn't lived or I didn't know anything really, but there were a couple of things that I suggested or I did that I think probably validated some kind of this idea came from Lynette or it, Lynette went to see this person and this is what happened in that meeting. And I was not given any of that validation at all. In fact, it was taken away, stripped back all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think for women in positions of power now, certainly when I was in corporates a couple of years ago, I was getting the sense that many women are, are dropping the ladder down behind them for other women to climb up and pulling them up and saying, you know, you did really well on that project. I want your name on that report too. That's wonderful. Which is awesome and is necessary and needed, particularly right. with youngsters because, you know, I was 18 and, you know, the things that I was suggesting or coming up with, you know, may or may not have worked, but several times some of those influ in, um, suggestions were put in place, but my name was not mentioned anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that was like, oh, did, did I not count or was that not really my idea or, right. you know, so I think that really helps a young woman of 18, 22, 28 <laughs> to know I had a really good idea. That was validated. I got listened to. Yeah. But that never happened to me. And I don't think it happened to, you know, lots of women, you know, particularly 30 odd years ago, but I think it's happening more now. I agree. I, I, I hope so. Um, I, I do see things shifting, you know, in a larger scale. And um, the, the memory of corporate that stands out to me, I used to work for AT&T and um, uh, we had uh, a female take over in a really high position and we were going to have this meeting with her. And I was so excited just because she was a woman, I figured I, I, you know, attached all of these wonderful qualities just because she happens to be female, you know what I mean? So that was a bit of a, mm. a strangeness that I recognize now. And um, so somebody was supposed to present and I put myself forward because it was a long weekend too before this meeting and everybody else was going to the cottage and there I was sweating it out all weekend, <laughs> putting together this presentation and then she shows up um, and uh, I give my presentation and uh, boy, was it badly received, you know, it was, wow. yeah, I think she just wanted to do a little PR and, and, and walk away and, you know, not really actually tackle some of the issues that were happening. And, and I had stats and all kinds of things, you know, and everybody in my group was really happy because I was the person who stepped forward and said, Hey, these are real issues we got to deal with. And, and here's the benefits. And, you know, and instead I got, a, I got a, such a cold shoulder and like, who do you think you are? And, you know, I'm just coming in to, you know, to, to say hello and, and, and that's it. And I got to walk away and, you know, how dare you kind of thing. And I, I was shattered, mm -hmm. you know, I thought, yeah. oh my God, she's a woman. When, and I, I put a lot on that, you know, I thought, oh, she's a woman, so she should be, et cetera. It's like, well, uh, you know, that was a, a bit unrealistic in a way. And another thing I realized is that I, I started to think that 
you know, maybe women uh, started to feel like they had to adopt the behavior of those people already in place or else they wouldn't get those kinds of jobs, you know. Mm. Maybe they felt locked in a system and it, it took some boldness to, to kind of change the way that, that they behave in those situations. Yeah, I think there's some energy around that. Um, I think when a, a woman in a lower grade position doesn't see how you can do that job, you know, as a woman maybe with um, a family. I remember um, working closely with a, a lady who went on maternity leave. She had twins. And on her first day back at work, she had to fly from the UK to America for her first meeting. So in she walks in this American office and her counterparts there said, oh my God, it's amazing to have you back. Wow. What did you do with your kids? And she said, well, what did you do with yours today? And they said, well, they're with my wife. Okay. They're with my husband. <laughs> so it was like... I'm sorry, what? So it's an incomprehension about how a woman can do a job if there's nobody up there doing it, you know, to, to model for us. Right. We just don't know how would that work? Would it be okay? Like, do I take the kids and a nanny or how do I do that? So and we need models. We need people to emulate from. And that, yeah, I'm prime example for that actually because I learn by being shown something. I learn from seeing things. Um, and when somebody shows me something, however technical or complicated, if I've just shown it personally, then I'm like, oh, okay, that's easy. I can do that. I can do that too now. That I understand. So I think that's a really interesting thing that we've not had those role models. And the women who have done that job have had to do that job in a very masculine way by not talking about the kids or, or leaving them behind or you know they've had to do that in order to be taken seriously but what I noticed about 10 years ago when I was working in corporate with actually a whole group of men at board level these men did leave early for sports day they just didn't put it in the diary because their PAs were telling me I, I don't understand I'm sorry can you explain that one a little more? Um, the idea that if a woman has a higher position that she won't be at sports day in school, you know, when they do the running and the racing and, and all the parents come early at sort of half past three or two o'clock in the afternoon to watch the sports day and the egg and spoon race and, or a parents evening where you have to be there perhaps, you know, earlier on in the day. Right. There's some kind of expectation that if a woman takes a high powered job, She's giving up the right to go to those important fates and events and, and things that the kids put on. And she's emulating. Yeah, I do. Because I do too. What, yeah. I, what I saw was that years ago, she would have to forego that. Right. Whereas when I was working with men in offices a decade ago, they weren't talking about going to those events, but their PAs were telling me that they were in the diary. They were leaving early to go to sports days, to talk to the teachers, to pick the kids up early, to take them to sleepovers. They were doing all that. It was mm -hmm. just in the diary as meetings. So there is this, again, this sort of wow. bagger thing of, well, I am doing that, but I'm not going to, it's not in the diary of this is Chris's kid's sports day and he has to leave at two. Isn't that interesting? It's like, he has a meeting off-site. 
which no one questions. And the women in the organization don't know that he's doing that. So therefore they're going, well, he's just in meetings all the time. Like, how right. would I get to my kids' sports days? How would I still be involved and pick them up at half past three if I need to? So this actually segues beautifully into the whole idea that when we start to heal ourselves, when we start to become more our more authentic selves, we actually give permission to others to do the same, really. You know, and, yeah, completely. And, completely. and expecting everybody else around us to do it for us is, is not working so well. And then when we start to actually step out and do it ourselves, it's, it's amazing uh, the kind of um, things that end up happening around us, you know. I mean, I think that sometimes we build up in our minds that this can't be done and we can't do it. And, and we create a lot of bad guys. And it's not saying that, you know, bad things have not happened. But I think we do play a role in that. And sometimes when we start to change the rules, you know, it's amazing what can happen. Yeah, and we need to change the rules and we need to have an open mind that, I can do this. I don't know how, but I can do this. Yeah. And the answer will come. And the the confidence to know that the answer will come. If I stay clear and open-minded and with full of possibility, then the answer will come. But if I've decided already I can't do this, then I'm right. I I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Another thing that I've noticed is that, you know, I mean, I I identified as a feminist um, early on in, in my early adult life, but I I didn't embrace all that was happening in the 80s in, in feminism. There, there tended, feminism tended to be, it seemed to me, occurred to me at the time anyway, always in reference to men. Like, what I like about what I see happening now in embracing this divine feminine and finding all those wonderful qualities um, in the feminine is it it's there's no reference to the male it's about finding positive qualities in us not having to somehow denigrate some negative qualities in the masculine you know and and i really think think that that's a great way of of pursuing this of of changing that that balance of power yeah i think that's the significant shift we've had to rebalancing the power. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with, with anything, if there's a momentum one way very, very strongly, like there was, let's say, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, um, of, you know, that the male was, was the, the breadwinner and the high power positions and, and women weren't in those positions. We didn't have so much of a play. I mean, certainly when my mom was young, that was the case, although my mom broke the mold, which was really nice, even back in her day. That's wonderful. Um, but that has to be, I think, to turn anything around, there has to be a very fierce attack. I don't, well, I don't necessarily know that that's true. However, there was a very fierce attack on men. You know, women were trying to be men, you know, we were trying to put men down. I think women were coming out with all these terrible stories of what oh. men had done and how awful it was and, and how I men should all that. apologize whether they'd done anything wrong or not and whether they were good men or not. You know, we've had a lot of that and that's really unhealthy. Yeah. But if you look at, if you look at the momentum of it, I think they've, they've built up this huge momentum to try and shift the balance by dumbing the other gender down. Mm-hmm. And I think we've realized that that's not working. That's not 
what we want. That's we don't want feminine domination. That's just horrible. <laughs> we don't want to just make it the same problem in reverse. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I adopt some, that same attitude. It's like okay, that's not working. Yeah. reverse prejudice, right? Yeah, there were some very very funny sketches done by comedians in the in England of how it might be if all of the women were in charge and all of the men were in the same positions as the women. And they were just funny, funny, funny skits because it was ridiculous. <laughs> so nobody actually wanted that. And I think that was the time where, where that was all happening. I think at some point people saw the, the ridiculousness of that. And so they put on these funny comedy sketches. So um, what do you see happening now that uh, there's there's more of a focus, especially with ayahuasca. And I, I, I find ayahuasca to be a very, um, the kind of wisdom that comes through ayahuasca is, is all about individual empowerment, you know, and empowerment yeah. uh, for groups. But the onus is always on us to do our work and not put the blame on anybody else and to really take personal responsibility. And I see yeah. that as being an incredibly powerful thing. Is that something that comes through in the work that you do with women as well? Yeah, well, I've seen that with, with the work I've done in mixed circles, for sure, where there's been huge respect for the, for the men in those circles who have absolutely made decisions to do their work and to heal anything from their past that they want to change or to grow themselves spiritually or emotionally. There's been huge respect there. The same as for the women to actually do that because taking ayahuasca is not something for the faint hearted. It's a very big deal. And to, to sit in ceremony and to, to agree to yourself. You now for me, it's my personal blessing ceremony, which is why I called my, my work a woman's blessing because it's my personal blessing ceremony. And it's, my turn to honor myself and my learning and my individual road. So for the mixed circles I've seen, there's been huge respect with everybody that mm -hmm. has gone into that circle. And for women sitting together, it's fantastic because we are able to open together as a group, be vulnerable with each other as a group and take our own journeys and deep dive into this. Mm -hmm. with huge respect for everybody there and really it, it does start to shift centuries and centuries and centuries of guilt and trauma and shame and abuse it right. really does yeah i can see that and and it's a lot of work you know to to do this shifting um it's it's a lot of work on a personal level and i think that the fact that a lot of us are doing it uh, you know, the ripple effect is, is really in place. I can feel that happening for sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, and wanting to take ownership of that and not wanting to, to cloud those kinds of things that need working on with antidepressants or with overworking or with alcohol or with drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, because now I've taken that huge halo I was carrying around with me off and I see plant medicine for the beautiful thing that it is. Yeah. It's very, very different to how I was brought up to say no and to you know, say no to heroin and, and don't smoke well, this and don't smoke that. And I've sat in ceremony right? <laughs> with, some, with some very young people who were there because their 
parents realized they were starting to want to investigate drugs and street drugs and things like that. And I've sat with them because their father has said, no, if you want to do a psychedelic, we're going, I'm going to show you what that means and what that is and we'll do it together. Wow. That's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big shift and I have so oh. much respect for that yeah. because that's really coming together in a different way and teaching right. people, teaching young people what that is. Yeah, I can see that that's opening up. I mean, I've, I've seen you know, younger people become involved in whole families, which is really quite wonderful. The possibilities there are just astounding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just, it blows my mind. It's like, okay, talk about shift. I mean, that'll change the trajectory of that. Oh, I hope so. Life. I yeah. hope so. Because, you know, the street drugs that I was always taught to avoid, you know, they, they damage and they dumb down and they cloud and they, they're toxic. And, you know, there's all sorts of chemicals and man-made stuff that goes into them mm-hmm. and they take people away from themselves. Whereas plant medicines and ayahuasca, they bring people to themselves. You meet yourself, you become clear, you become in focus, you understand why your life may have unraveled as it has and you understand what you need to do for your us, life purpose. And help us to it's discover com- some of those deep yeah. wounds that are the reason why people feel like they need to self-medicate. And that's, that's a yeah. very real thing. Like um, I, I, I've had, and I'm not alone there, I'm sure a lot of people have had to deal with their wounds, you know, and it's, it's a very real thing. Um, you know, having respect for, for other people and all the rest of it. Part of that is also owning up to um, the things that have happened to us and, and um, at, sometimes at other people's hands, you know, I had to, to face a lot of that stuff too and then learn mm-hmm. to deal with it without the anger or shame or all of those things that go with it, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, uh, to ask you also to, to talk a bit about how you came to identify with being a medicine woman. A lot of people with ayahuasca have been asked to take on these roles um, that are just, they're, they seem very daunting, but they're also asking us to, you know, step up and, and be the best um, version of ourselves. And I'm wondering if, if that's something that you can identify with that happened with you. Well, so I had my two-year deep dive, my complete stripping of everything that I thought to be true about, you know, my career and, and where I was coming from and my want to help women in this world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I burned everything from my company and then I sold my company. And I really had started to get a sense of then of, what it is I wanted to do. And actually this poetry just started coming. This, these words just started coming out. And, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I've mentioned that. So writing is natural for me. But I hadn't expected. I just started these phrases kept coming and I had to write them down and then write that one down and write that one down. And, and then I noticed I was creating the, these words and they were beautiful and they were just coming to me. and. I noticed a difference between when they were 
flowing and just coming to me. Often when I have been in meditation and when I was sitting down to purposely write something, okay, I have a couple of hours, what should I write about? You know, nothing came on the page. So I noticed there was a difference in the flow and in the not flow. Mm-hmm. So I, that happened. And then I found myself writing rituals, writing my own rituals, writing my own prayers for people, writing how you would do a letting go ceremony for yourself, how you would do a manifestation ceremony. I started to write all this down, you know. Um, and I, I, what I was doing was slowly starting to build up where I wanted to place myself for the healing and rise of women. And, you know, when I was in the corporate world, I mean, obviously labels were very important at that time. So I was a life coach. And in fact, one magazine gave me the very grand title of the UK's leading life coach for women. And yeah, that's very important and very grand. Um, Titles now are less grand to me. They don't have, I don't have a need to have a title. However, I was needing and wanting to find a way to describe who I was becoming, you know, how, what am I, who am I turning into? And that was a slow process, a slow burn. And then I asked some people that I was working closely with, can you just tell me what you see? Who, who am I when you look at me? And I hadn't known these people very long, but I was doing some intense work with them. And medicine woman was coming out, woman medicine was coming out. Lots of other um, descriptive, beautiful descriptive words were coming out. I thought, oh my gosh, something is emerging here. Medicine woman is emerging. But at that time I had, you know, like the cheek to call myself a medicine woman. Like, really? Are you kidding me? So you had some misgivings a little bit at the beginning. It's daunting, right? Well, you know, who am I to call myself a medicine woman? You know, I've, I've been working with plant medicine for two years. And it's like nothing compared to some medicine women that where it's their heritage and, and generation upon generation upon generation has passed down magic recipes and brews and words and Icaros. And that wasn't my family lineage right. at all. So mm-hmm. how, how do I fit? Where do I fit in that? And so I work with a shaman actually, who's, who's my coach. And she's an amazing woman because she's been from my side of the world she was in corporate she was doing a normal job in a normal city and then started her work with plant medicine in much the same way and now serves and has done for many years serves ayahuasca and she said you are a medicine woman it's there you are and i started to look at some of the things that a medicine woman was so i looked up uh, obviously many years ago the medicine woman would have been the, the one in the village who was the botanist, who knew what plants to take for what thing. She often had a, a gift of healing and a psychic ability. And, um, you know, she'd have been very quiet. She'd have been on the edge of the forest. People would have gone to her with great respect. Mm-hmm. Um, in actual fact, she wasn't paid for doing any of that, but she always had food and shelter and her needs met. She had a great respect. And, you know, her teachings and recipes and mix this nettle with that plant and you'll get this and you know that was that was ancient 
What I also found is that there is a medicine woman archetype now that is coming out and more and more women as we rise are healing the wounds of our ancestors, wherever our ancestors may have come from. We're healing those wounds of those witches and and Mm. battle shakers from many years ago who were burnt at the stake for doing that, for for eating herbs or for knowing what herbs to do for, for what thing. Yes, um, and for the who seeming did, magic that came out of it. Yes, right? for, for <laughs> the, the seeming magic, magic. For, <laughs> for, for considering their words as spells, for doing right. rituals, for honoring the moon, for honoring their womb, for exactly. honoring their blood, you know, for, for all kinds of things. And we are healing that now yeah. through this plant medicine. It's coming out of the jungle into society where... You know, I'm from England, from Essex, and here I am doing this. But there is a whole host of women who now want this back. And although we don't necessarily have in the last, you know, 80 odd years, a heritage that suggests that is who we are innately, we tend to be in this modern day, we tend to be coaches, we tend to be teachers, massage therapists. Right. acupuncturists kinesiologists writers and we are all choosing to make awaken the medicine woman within us Mm -hmm. so i had to find out what my medicine was what is my medicine (laughs) you know actually my medicine is words uh i'm a great communicator poetry i've been inspiring women and men actually for many years through my work as a coach and I really had to dig deep into that. Um, they're often very intuitive, uh, sensitive to emotions. Um, they're often grounded, but they're very real. Um, the women, medicine women that I know have, they're normal people. They've been through great life trauma and difficulties also, mm-hmm. but they have sought their own refuge. They have sought their own connection to their higher self in order to balance themselves. Um, and they have had huge, powerful transformations for those around them as well as themselves. They are medicine women. Right. So part of it is actually helping people to find their own medicine too. Yes, exactly. Because what I'm seeing now through my work in ayahuasca is so many of those people that we took on with ayahuasca for the very first time, they have never drunk before, are now training to serve. They're now in the jungle working out how to serve cambo they're um drinking and making ayahuasca Mm -hmm. they're learning how to sing medicine songs Mm -hmm. they're learning how to hold space and they're now coming out of those forests and those trainings saying this is my work this is my medicine and the women that i know and i've drunk with they are holding women's circles they are holding sister circles they are empowering women they're talking about spiritual connection they're dancing Mm-hmm. which releases huge amounts of um, emotion and revelation and connection to oneself. They are drumming, they are singing, they are, oh my gosh, the, fo- the power of the feminine and our authority in these situations, in these circles is immense. This yeah. is the power of the modern day medicine woman That's that wonderful. we can now adapt and walk through. And I'm very proud to be one of those women yeah, that's 
That's amazing. It's amazing what's come out of it, how you're approaching things so differently. And so many of us are having that, that kind of transformation where I think that we all had a sense, and some of us did and didn't, of what we wanted to do. Like you always knew you wanted to work with women. And, you know, um, I had a sense of what I wanted to do, but ayahuasca helps us refine it and then just helps bring it out in us, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's wonderful that there's so many helping others too. And, and I think that's, that's, it's natural. I think that that's what's needed right now. Like there's uh, some criticism about people, they go to ayahuasca and they come out saying I'm a shaman. And, and I can appreciate that, you know, this might sound like a, a very, you know, um, unrealistic shift. Um, and I don't know what's realistic with respect to ayahuasca because uh, it's a very magical experience. But I can't know what happened in that person's experience and, and what this that really meant thing. to that person. I know that this is the thing. There was a I'll lot of very some... unusual things happened with me that I'm sure that people have all kinds of opinions about. You know, this woman yeah. around talking about this voice staying with her, but that's it's just the way that it was. It was hard for me, very hard, you know. It, it's still and other people's much, opinions really shouldn't come into it because our relationship with Mother Ayahuasca, once we've drunk her, is strictly our relationship. Exactly. And it's very personal. And whilst one person might not feel comfortable serving Ayahuasca or, or, or even considering that that's a possibility for many years, mm-hmm. another person will come out of a year and put themselves in a position of being at service right. to ayahuasca and very quickly shift. Yeah, it, it's, it's happening all the time. Um, and it's so different for all of us. But um, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time together. But thank you so much, Lynette, for sharing so openly about your, your journey and about what's happening now. And I know that you're, part of that experience was um, your, your journaling is turning into a, another book, right? So uh-huh. can you tell us about that and when it'll be out quickly. <laughs> I would love to because those poems that I started writing, um, they have turned into a book. It's my fifth book. It's due out, well, I don't know, it could even be next week. It's real close now. And I was wondering if I could read you something quickly from that book because it's about the women in that space in ayahuasca. May I finish on that? Sure, as long as it's really quick. Let's go for it. Okay. (laughs) Each and every woman walked into that space with beauty in their soul, calm, called to be there, prepared for Madre. The goddess in them stepping forward, the warrior determined to emerge, wanting this, being called back to their essence, filling the space with incense, white, feminine, candles lit, space held, breath felt, stillness radiating and ready to dive deep, their stories heard, shared wounds loosening their grip. Strangers turned sisters, feeling energy, love radiating in that circle, intuition stirring, senses alight. They merged that night, stirring centuries of healing, trauma, guilt, shame and abuse, and transforming it into light, healing, love and power. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And what's the name of the book? It's called A Woman's Blessing. Oh, wonderful. Okay. And when's it going to be? You don't know when it's going to be ready, but where can people find it once it is? It will be on Amazon and maybe I can send you the link to accompany this uh, podcast. It's going to be soon. Well, um, why don't you give us your website so that people know how to get it? Sure. It's www.awomansblessing.com and it will be on there for sure. Wonderful. In like a week, a week or 10 days. Fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's almost ready to be born. Okay. Yeah. 
I just wanted to ask people out there, I um, now have a patron program as part of, uh, supported by the Podbean um, platform that I'm on with this podcast. Um, so please go on and support this show so that we can keep it going. Even $1 a month can make a huge difference. Um, so if you go on the website, ayahuascatalks.love, once again, that's ayahuascatalks.love, and then just click on the green button uh, at the top right-hand corner, uh, and the button is named uh, Become a Patron, and then it'll just take you through the steps. And um, I know that the audience is building. There's approximately 3,000 a month of, of listeners of Ayahuasca Talks out there. So just imagine, you know, if only a small amount of you gave just $1 a month, it would make a huge difference. Um, and with that pledge, there's going to be an opportunity to join an exclusive Facebook group um, to keep the discussion going. And uh, so please um, get on the website and support this show. And also, if you could get onto Facebook and like our Facebook page, which is Ayahuasca Talks Radio Show, um, that will make a big difference too. Because I can, I can put a button, a patron button on once I get two thousand likes, and we're at we're over a thousand, so we've got a ways to go. So I would really appreciate all that help, and I really appreciate all you listeners out there and for supporting the show just by joining us. Thank you so much, and thanks, Lynette, for joining us today. <laughs>